This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Thursday, August 24th, 2023. Mr. Garner, I think we found out uh, somebody is buying uh, NVIDIA chips. That was our question yesterday. We had a rather, uh, to say the least, skeptical uh, tilt going into the earnings report after the hours yesterday. And instead of uh, not being able to surprise the upside, the surprise massively, massively to the upside, um, uh, it was 11 billion expected, and it was something like 13 and a half delivered. And we'll talk a lot about that. And actually, ironically, the fact that they're not able to estimate their earnings could be a negative sign as much as this, uh, as the market did try to do a positive takeaway there. Again, more on that later. There's so much going on though, and so much potentially to go on before the end of the week with Jackson Hole uh, coming into view here, the Jackson Hole Fed Symposium that is. Uh, and there were plenty of other events yesterday. So first off, we had early in the European session, essentially as we were recording the podcast yesterday, we saw a just almost dire set of Eurozone PMIs. Yes, a slight tick up in some of the manufacturing uh, PMIs, but these, again, when you when you tick up from a very negative level, it just means things are getting worse at a slower pace. And still with Germany down there in the, in the sub-40 level in manufacturing, not a good sign. Uh, if we look at services, Germany slipping sub-50, Eurozone-wide slipping sub-50 as well, 48.3, that is, on services versus 50.5 expected 50.9. This is in August when we have supposedly a strong tourist season with many Americans across into the continent. Um, and then in, on the UK side, the manufacturing was actually far worse than expected. 42.5, very ugly PMI there, and 48.7 on the services, the first one below 50 uh, and showing contraction. So both sterling and euro lower, a huge impact into fixed income as we saw, uh, as we saw such a, uh, uh, you know, such bad figures Pretty interesting charts, uh, and I've got a fixed income chart, at least for the U.S. yields, as we did see slightly weaker U.S. data as well. But let's go back. Um, Can I just add before yeah. the Jackson Hole that yeah. uh, something I mentioned as well in the internal call, this whole peak rates. It's important to to have the the you know the awareness that the Chicago Financial Condition Index, the adjusted one, so that is um, uh, the official measure from the Fed's own research department. It's measuring the financial conditions relative to how strong or weak the economy is. That index shows that we have the the loosest financial condition since March 2022. I just think it's an important thing to have in mind because when we're discussing peak rates, I mean, it, it has to be based on also where the economy is. And, and I, I don't think a lot of central bankers at this point in time, if you rewind 18 months from now, and you said to Powell, okay, I'll take, we'll take the Fed funds to five and a quarter, and the economy will still be humming along with their full employment. And sorry, if you fast forward. Oh, it's good. So, Eighteen yeah, months yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, from from the point when they started the yeah. uh, the rate cycle, I don't think they would have expected to see the economy being this strong. So I think there is something in the you know the lacking factors or the the lag that is uh, from monetary policy change to what we have seen. Has, is very different from what we have seen before. And it, it might be caused because of this massive fiscal boom we had during the pandemic. So it just, it, again, as we have said so many times, this cycle is just very different from all the previous cycles since the 1970s and makes economic research and reasoning extremely difficult. Yeah, that's a very great point. Uh, and to jump all over the place in our slides, so look at slide six, you see the the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield there. Just such a critical juncture that this happened at as we just had posted new highs and we saw cratering in yields yesterday first inspired by the eurozone pmis and then the u.s session 
pre-open, we saw a, um, I, I thought it was it's incredible to see the takeaway. It just shows you how quickly the, the market is grasping, though, at, at data. So it does suggest a vulnerability. It's not the data itself. It's the way the market reacts to it as much as anything else. And that was a downward revision for some one year of data from March 22 to March 23 of minus 300K in payrolls, uh, some 0.2%. So I, I think this is hardly something to write home about. But it does affect market psychology and market reality and does suggest that there's a weak side uh, to the market action, meaning uh, if we do get negative data, the fixed income is, is very sensitive to it. I, I don't really think we need to, to put away much from slide or take away much from slide two. It was all the bubble stocks. It was NVIDIA that was doing very well even before the close and jumped another 30 bucks after the close. Let's go through the results and answer our question from yesterday in the title, as I talked about, who the heck is buying NVIDIA's chips? So- yeah. Q to you there, um, uh, Peter. Yeah, exactly. Let's um, let's dive into it. So uh, I really think it would be a good idea if you're not doing it normally, but but click on that little link to the today's slide deck because I think it will be much easier to follow uh, the the the, um, the subsequent comments here. So on slide three, the chart to the left shows you in dark blue the realized revenues up until yesterday before the earnings result. The light blue uh, bars there were the analyst estimates. So the estimate was $11 billion for the quarter. Um, NVIDIA delivered 13 and a half, as John said. That's the orange bar there. As you can see that beat. And then they came out with an, a revenue outlook, which is the second orange bar. You can see that and you can compare that with the previous analyst estimates, which was basically just reflected off the, you know, the previous guidance that uh, NVIDIA delivered back in May. They delivered a guidance two quarters forward. This time, they only delivered one quarter forward. It seems like that based on only three months, that they demand is changing so rapidly and they don't have a fully understanding of the channels and what is really driving demand. And keep in mind, this is a company, and I have said it so many times that I think it's so weird that they never talk about China in their in their, in their their official investor documents, etc. They they only they never only split it out in their SEC filings on page 87. And not didn't talk about crypto either. Exactly, which I found out yesterday, they have actually settled with the SEC uh, on a fine because they have been accused of not being honest about how big a part of the business crypto wow. is. So it, this is a company that is not completely transparent on all parameters, but there's a lot of demand. And I asked the question, who's buying NVIDIA GPUs yesterday? When you looked at the CapEx from the largest US and Chinese technology companies, you could see from those numbers, it's not coming from the big tech. It's coming from that long tail of AI startups just like we know a lot of the Google's advertising business for a long time was also driven by this very long tail of constant new e-commerce companies starting up, um, et cetera, spending a lot of online advertising dollars on Google's network to get business. And you can see on slide three, that's the chart to the right, shows that the funding for generative AI startups has gone from $2.5 billion in 2022 to 2000 and, and to, to $14 billion uh, for the first yeah, six months of the year, right? So we, we're looking at, you know, something like 16, 17x potentially for this year in terms of funding increase. And a lot of that funding is going into buying GPUs. I read about it the other day. So I, I missed a little bit this angle. Um, there just seems like a panic, basically. It, it is about getting holes in these uh, GPUs so you can do, the, do and, these models. And you almost wonder that there's the, there's a scramble as well to be the first. Yeah. To, to you know, So if you look at slide four, which I put in there, that was actually a... a um, a slide we put in there in our special edition podcast on generative AI. You can still go back and have a listen. I don't have the date in front of me, but do have a listen to that. 
you can see the, the, the number of companies that are working in different areas. So in text, in uh, image uh, processing and gener you know, generation, uh, speech uh, synthesis, et cetera, you have to wonder, they're all working probably on their own sets of databases. Maybe some of the databases overlap. So it's about getting the right algorithm, getting the right machine to be the first, to be the best, yeah. to be the one that gets bought up by the Googles and the Microsofts of the world. So you're right, maybe there is this uh, really desperate scramble because it doesn't seem to be driven from the uh, the, the, the thing that made this such a big splash, which was the, the sort of the ability to use natural language. You and I can sit there and, and talk to a chat GPT or, or Google's bar to, to answer all, all manner of questions. Yeah, that there's definitely an, an ecosystem, Silicon Valley ecosystem feedback loop going on here, as well as you say. I mean, it, if you're the first one on the, as a startup, and it doesn't matter whether you actually get commercial traction, you just need to show that you have something that has a little bit of traction, and it's and you have made a, a you know a small tilt on the technology that makes it very exciting. And then Google says, okay, we're not going to spend a whole year trying to uh, to compete with these guys. So let's just buy them, and that in itself can drive this whole bonanza. It's a, it is a gold rush, yeah. basically. And there's real specific domain knowledge in each of these areas. Uh, I'm sure where you have to yeah. have your your proprietary <clears throat> knowledge to to to, to but, run the model. But but I have I have sort of two interesting observations as well on Nvidia. So. NVIDIA's main supplier or manufacturer of their computer chips is TSMC. Okay, so you go in and you look at the revenue figures for TSMC. They were actually down quarter and quarter in Q2. But what percent of their revenues is derived exactly. from NVIDIA GPUs? So that is also what NVIDIA is sort of saying on their earnings call. Is, and that I, and I, do, I do actually in my piece from yesterday say that it might be that CapEx is unchanged for large technology companies, but the, sh but the mix of what you spend your money on can have, could have shifted dramatically towards GPUs. But I think it's interesting that you have very bad PMI figures out of Taiwan. You had two quarters in a row, quarter-on-quarter negative growth rates for TSMC, and then you have NVIDIA, which is just more, up more than 100% quarter-on-quarter. Uh, quarter. So I think there's an interesting angle there just to think about because I think the key question which is, is still out there is how much of demand has been pulled forward here and, and how much will this, you know, when we get on the other side of this bonanza next year, will it come very uh, down very, very hardly and then uh, very hard. And then the other, the other thing to think about is that we have to remember one of the key premises or one of the key ideas that Microsoft had for why they wanted to invest in OpenAI. Yes, it was a super cool technology. Microsoft had been frustrated for almost a decade that they couldn't compete against Google in the search business. <clears throat> Bing was sitting at a ridiculously, I think, low 3%, 4% global market share for, 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 for search engine. And they thought that, or that was the idea, the hypothesis was that if we add this generative AI, this conversational uh, agent on top of the search, we'll do the, the, ser the search service would be so much better that people will, would come to Bing. So they, they bought the stake in, in, in OpenAI, they did the partnership, they rolled out they rolled out this generative AI agent on into the Bing and they gave it away for free. And if you look at the numbers, the recent numbers we have, that there is no uptick in market share for Bing. Google is still controlling the, uh, the, 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 the search engine market. So um, yeah, I, <clears throat> as you can hear, I, I think it's, 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 NVIDIA is a great company. It's a fantastic story. It, I, I'm excited about all the, the research that's going into this technology. But um, I, you know, I think the hype cycle this time around is, is something I've never seen before. And 
of course there will be a hangover at one point. It's just a yeah. question of what, when will that hangover come? And interesting stuff. And this H100 chip, which I understand is the top of the line chip, $40,000 a <laughs> pop. Yeah. And they're seeking to ship at least 1.5 million of these things next year. Small warning sign to me, just on a meta level, seeing the CEO looking like a, with a biker jacket on, leather jacket, but uh, maybe that's just my... Maybe that's just my aesthetics there. Just uh, shades of something a little bit dodgy there. But uh, but yes, it's a fascinating story. I think uh, it'll be very key to see each quarter, each quarterly cycle, mm. how off are they in these estimates, both to the upside and to the downside, and is there some kind of exponential uh, and unsustainable rise that, that's, that's then suddenly corrects. And, and then, of course, when you do miss, when you've had these constant up, upside surprises, the, the impact is that much more tremendous. All right, let's get back to the slides and, and run through the rest of this, uh, guys. Uh, we have stocks to watch today, uh, maybe NVIDIA, Peter. Uh, of course, we'll have to see how that stock trades. It traded uh, above $500 post the close after mm. something like a 481 high. And also Snowflake, uh, yeah. of course, under radar. Uh, a short comment on, on Snowflake. The, the shares were up 4% in extended trading. They actually beat on Q2. The Q3 revenue outlook was a tad below estimates, but they reaffirmed the uh, the fiscal outlook for for revenue. I think their fiscal year ends in in January of uh, 2024. So, um, but Snowflake is seeing a slowdown in their in their business, just like the rest of uh, like, like the rest of technology. And on that ending note, John, before we quickly go to all here, or maybe we have been taking uh, too much time. FX first, yeah, FX first. But you could actually you could actually say that the that there, there are two parts in the global economy or the equity market right now that's holding everything up. It's Eli Lilia Novo Nordisk on obesity drugs, the excitement over that. And then it's the whole AI cluster with NVIDIA yesterday. It seems like those two clusters and excitement are really the two the two engines behind the, the equity market right now, which I, if you think about it, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating, uh, especially the Wagovi thing. And then some of the knock-on implications for other industries, for example, diet services, et cetera. Why diet when you can take a pill that makes you not want to eat? Um, all right, FX briefly before we get to Olu, because there's tons going on in the energy market here. And I just wanted to point out, we had a, a, a whipsaw day yesterday because, again, with those weak Eurozone and, and uh, UK PMIs, we saw uh, Europe under pressure and Sterling under pressure. And then the NFP revision and the very powerful risk sentiment tends to weigh on the on the US dollar, a combination of, of, of lower yields but strong risk sentiment. You know, it goes the opposite way. So you can see the confusion on the chart there on slide seven. Euro dollar nearly touching that, or effectively it did touch the 200-day moving average, creeping up above 108 now. And I show you the the channel there. So really critical levels here. Seems to me the dollar wins out on this battle, but we need to see what the Fed says. And we can't have a dollar that goes in higher when we have just this this you know, gaga. I don't know to describe it. Very strong risk sentiment. Let's put it that way. Curious to me as well with this cratering of yields that we did not see a stronger Japanese yen. But watch that one. If yields continue lower, the Japanese yen surely has to begin to rise further. Of course, it did uh, strengthen quite a bit still versus the euro and elsewhere, and sterling, etc. Even though it did, uh, uh, it did sort of ease back lower overnight. But uh, keep an eye on the yen, and then on the metals, we're seeing some some big time action. We're seeing gold back above, well above nineteen hundred. Silver, as you can see there on the FX board slide, there on slide seven. Uh, with a very strong reading, we've seen a, quite a turnaround there. We were just a, a couple of weeks removed from silver being extremely weak. Now it's extremely uh, strong. I don't know if you have a word or, on, or two on precious me, precious metals, uh, Ola, but we have uh, energy uh, really taking the focus here. 
Absolutely. Well, on uh, on the metal space, uh, I think the, the the silver has most certainly been the uh, leader in this uh, rally that started the uh, end of last week, and I think the the trigger was basically intervention in the Chinese renminbi, because that uh, created a, a flow at least for now in the renminbi that supported a recovery in copper and then uh, helped uh, that spread into silver. And we have to remember that during the past four weeks, there's been quite an aggressive amount of selling from speculators in both of these uh, futures contracts. So quite a bit of what we're seeing now is uh, short covering, and then adding uh, spicing it up. Yes with those uh, weak PMI numbers, so obviously raising the the uh, the question about the peak rates in the US, uh, when if that timing is going to be brought forward, and that has added some additional uh, strength into the market. A little bit of consolidation today, which is quite, uh, I would say, quite would, could be expected ahead of uh, Jackson Hole and the speech by Powell tomorrow. But you mentioned energy, John, and uh, yeah, we, we're trading on the soft side, uh, both crude oil and uh, especially gas. Uh, we saw gas prices uh, in Europe, uh, drop twenty percent here on the opening. There's some uh, talk that uh, one of the three strike potential strike uh, actions in Australia can be averted, um, and that's really been the main reason why we we we've saw this very strong rally recently. So we're back down to the low thirties, and that's probably where we're going to stay. We uh, we put out a note uh, in our comments uh, early in the week, basically just wondering why we were seeing this very strong price at this time of year because even if we had a strike action in, in Australia surely it's not that action will not continue for for months and right now we are in Europe we are looking at uh, tank tops and in, in gas inventories uh, to be reached fairly soon uh, most certainly ahead of the demand season which doesn't really start until late October early November so um, in the in the, so we could uh, probably in the, in the, in the short term experience uh, Prices staying here in the, in the 30s, but obviously when we get towards the winter period, anything can happen because inventory levels are not enough to cope with a very strong winter. And I imagine the winter prices are already, say for January, February, must be somewhat above what we're seeing here in the spot prices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so spot prices low 30s. Uh, winter, the winter gas price right now is uh, tr- is around 47. It was in the 50s last week, so sure. it is being priced in already. And then uranium, uh, really uh, impressive chart there with Kamiko. On slide nine, at, at these new highs not seen since. Oh, you have a really long-term chart there that goes back to to 2005. So the highest level since uh, pre, let's call it 2008 or so. Exactly, um, and it is the uh, and you can see momentum there has been very strong for for quite a while, and it is the it is the focus on the uranium and the nuclear sector as as a potential a better solution than some of the alternatives that we are we are we are throwing billions after right now. And uh, it is also starting to come through in terms of what the market expects for future supply, future demand for uranium, and uh, that that points to uh, tightness. Also, we have the whole geopolitical situation with uh, Russia being such a major process of uh, uranium into uh, into the nuclear rods, and we want to move that away from uh, well, the Western world world to be less dependent on Russia, and that's also creating some 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 bottlenecks. So um, we are. It's it's a sector that I think it most certainly will, will will continue to attract attention in in the coming years uh, from higher profitabilities as as the price of the underlying that they they produce continues to uh, to move higher. Yeah, a useful list of names there on your market monitor on slide nine with those names and uh, impressive month to date performance there. Some companies I've never heard of. Uh, interesting stuff. All right, Peter, was there any uh, thing you wanted to pull out from Earnings Watch? Are you a big trader of these big uh, Canadian banks that are reporting today? Oh, I love the Canadian banks. <laughs> oh, it's like a long-term chart. Uh, you should be in love with them. At least uh, you would be if you had bought them in, in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, I think like just like Australian banks, they, they pay uh, great dividends. Um, yeah, no, although I, I mean, if you look at the U.S. session, it's no really interesting market-moving um, earnings release on tap. So I, I took the liberty to uh, put in this chart 
and we're we are on slide 10, by the way, in today's slide deck. And um, it's the 12 month forward earnings estimates from analysts. And um, you have the S&P 500 there in, in dark blue. You have in yellow as uh, the stock 600, the benchmark index here in Europe. And I've put in the S&P 500's uh, IT sector. So the IT sector is uh, hardware. So you find uh, Apple in that one. You have software in, um, in, in that sector as well, but you don't have the media companies and entertainment and communication services. So basically Meta and Google is not part of that IT sector, just so you're aware of it, but you have NVIDIA in there. And you can just see I've, I've highlighted um, it's going to be interesting when we update those figures tomorrow because are we going to see that big jump just like we had with the previous NVIDIA blowout guidance? Of course we are. So that green line is just powering on. And um, I'm also showing this just so you have fresh perspective. Again, going into that Jackson Hole, you know, very loose financial conditions. The market wants it to be peak rates. But on the other hand, earnings estimates are rising. We have these conditions. Um and, and I think one, one big joker here as well for the global economy, and we haven't talked that much about China um, in the past couple of days on this podcast, John, but I mean, I think China is really in a position, you saw all the big banks came out yesterday with new uh, GDP forecasts for, for, for China. They were all lower to around somewhere around 4.5% for, uh, for the year. I really think that the policymakers and the government in China is, is really, you know, is really coming very close to a very an inflection point where they have to make some very tough to tough decisions. They, they, they must get this economy going at all costs. So I'm just, I'm just waiting for this big splash. But, I'm, but as you said... There's a good Lubberg article discussing why, why they shouldn't or why they're not. Yeah. And, and of course, it has to do with the, uh, over, uh, the, the bloated property sector that they already overbuilt in that area and that we have, they have a lot of uh, you know, suffering assets that are, that are worthless and, and homes that have been bought... Let's not forget during a lot of this uh, this cycle, people were buying homes and and you know having to to start their mortgages before they're completed. So there are many people that have that have you know invested a significant portion of their life savings in homes that have yet to be built, and then these property developers are, are you know, going bankrupt or, or can't complete. So there's one thing to get the economy going, but what about simply you know damage damage control? Yeah, now now they really they they pushing hard on electric vehicles as sort of the the next sector of the economy where you have potentially productive assets, but that is really based on a very strong assumption that you can you can be become become a very big export machine. It, the numbers are suggesting right now that they that that is you know it it is becoming a big export nation on EVs. But um, yeah, I just think that China is still an X factor. I think it's getting increasingly difficult to to understand what what will come from from that country in terms of its impulse into the global economy. Yeah. All right, macro calendar, we need to round this out. Uh, we have jobless claims later today. Uh, do know we have the Jackson Hole Conference, as we've been talking about, or symposium, as it is called. Difficult for me to call anything on this uh, speech from Powell tomorrow. Uh, my suspicion is why bother with, with short-term impl- uh, you know, indications on whether we're finished or whether there may be a hike or two. That, that's the job of the normal FOMC beings. It's structural policy, hence, if, if anything, and on that front, are they willing to guide for higher rates for longer or the suspicion that the structure of the economy, and especially this so-called fiscal dominance issue, the, 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 the you know, sustained and large deficits mean that they have to shift their opinions on what the likely and projections on what the likely longer run rate is. But the market has already shifted that higher. The market is already at 3.75% plus for where the, the Fed rate Fed, Fed funds rate is, let's say, out in 2026, which is the, the long run according to the Fed.plot projections. Or do we get a uh, for, you know, even more sort of uh, precise and, and um, you know, pressing hints on how they see the, the Treasury issuance dynamics working with, with uh, this, this idea that they, they could uh, 
this too specific, but something that hints that they see this as a key issue and the policy option for the Fed, they will not spell this out, but the policy option for that in such an instance would be to stop paying uh, interest on bank reserves. I've talked about that in earlier podcasts this week. Key speech, but also we need to keep in mind with these dire Eurozone services, PMIs, that we have Lagarde speaking at Jackson Hole as well. Quite late in the day tomorrow, 1900 GMT, and apparently she's been scheduling some some media appearances as well. Is there a different message and a shift from Lagarde, a shift in caution? European fixed income also very bid on these uh, weak figures yesterday. So lots of foot here, lots to consider, and we'll take it one day at a time and be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.